There we go. Hey, listen, tonight is the season finale, the series finale of the race, which means that's the last time you're going to see the most hype sermon bumper of all time. So you can lament, you can cry a single tear right now, but don't forget I told you a couple weeks back that I do have the audio. So if you want that to run, you know, or to kind of pump you up before work on Mondays, let me know after service. I'll airdrop it to you so you can have that as well. I've listened to it several times uh, just to get moving, you know, just to get going. But tonight, as I said, is the series finale. This is episode seven. We have been moving through the book of Acts, tracing the life of the Apostle Paul. And we have entitled the sermon series, The Race, because the Apostle Paul speaks about his life and the Christian life as a race that we are to run well. And tonight, as we close, we're looking at how to finish strong. The Apostle Paul is going to model that in his life, and we're going to be both in Acts, the very end of the book of Acts, as well as in 2 Timothy. It's fitting for the closing of our series that we will be in the last chapter of the book of Acts. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 28. If you have the Crossbridge Brickle app, you can click on the notes icon and follow along. I've also placed some extra notes there for you. And the, the scripture will be on the screen as well behind me. So as I said, we're going to be at the very end of Acts chapter 28. But before we get there, I want to bring us up to speed. So... Before we kind of dive back into the Apostle Paul's life, I think it's really important that we close out his life framing who the Apostle Paul is. He is an infamous uh, figure in Scripture and in history. He wrote most of the New Testament. He planted churches all over the Roman Empire. He led countless people to faith. He raised up leaders. Jesus actually gave him this very specific calling to proclaim the gospel to Jew and Gentile, and primarily focusing on Gentile, non-Jewish people, all over the Roman world, so outside of Israel. And he did that faithfully. And so we read about him in the book of Acts. We read many of his letters. Some of you, maybe some of your favorite, you're not supposed to have a favorite book of the Bible, but it's okay. You can have a favorite book. Romans, maybe, for many of you, the Apostle Paul wrote that as well as many other books. And I wanted to frame that because when you look at his life, it is extraordinary. There is so much honor that is to be given to him. But I want to remind you that he is just a man. He is just like you and me. Sometimes when we read scripture, I've said this many times before, we read in the Old Testament of King David and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. We read about Paul and Peter and John and, and Priscilla and Aquila and Phoebe and Deborah and all of these characters throughout scripture. And we think to ourselves, they are so super spiritual, they are so different from me. But that's not the case. In fact, one of the things I love so much about the Bible is that it is honest so all the times you are seeing the flaws of all of these figures in Scripture and human history, the Apostle Paul as well. A couple of weeks ago, we saw how the Apostle Paul had a, a breakup with his best friend in Acts chapter 15, Barnabas, where they had a disagreement, and he harbored resentment towards John Mark. And I told you that later down the road, he will reconcile with him. But he had struggles and difficulties too. The Apostle Paul says that he's the worst of all sinners, and he's not like false like humility when he says that because he has done some horrible things and he struggles too. He, he, he tells us that God has given him a thorn in his side that he struggles with and that there's times where he wants to do the right thing but he does the wrong thing. He's just like us. 
And that's important because when you read about the race that he runs, planting all these churches and proclaiming Jesus all over the Roman Empire, his calling and his race is unique. But your calling matters too. And it's a continuation, in fact, of what he began and many other men and women as well. And so just because God used him in extraordinary ways and he's deserving of honor, please don't read into his life and think, this could never apply to me because I'm not like him. He is constantly reiterating in his life who he was before Jesus. And the only thing that made him extraordinary was Jesus. And that's the same for you and the same for me. So the Apostle Paul is just like us. God used him in an extraordinary way. And we're going to see one of the reasons why God was, uh, how God worked through his life and why there was so much effectiveness and so much to celebrate because the Apostle Paul was committed to a few things. And we're going to explore that because that's what it looks like to finish strong. Last week we left off though in Acts chapter 19. As I said this evening, we're in Acts chapter 28. So let me kind of bridge that gap really quickly what's happened. The Apostle Paul last week in Acts chapter 19 was in Ephesus. He's there for several years. He's helping lead the church, raise up leaders in the hall of Tyrannus. And then there's a revival that breaks out because of the church and their commitment and their conviction and the way that they live out their faith in the city. Now, the Apostle Paul is there, and he's a big part of that as he's leading this church. In Acts chapter 21, he finally leaves Ephesus, and he goes back down to Jerusalem. He's in Jerusalem, and he goes into the temple. In the temple, he begins to preach and to teach and to speak about Jesus. As there's so many people in the temple. This is the most effective place for him to go to proclaim the name of Jesus, that he is the Messiah. We read that there were some Jews that have come down from Asia, so from the area of around where Ephesus is, that come down to Jerusalem. They go into the temple, and they throw accusations at Paul heavy accusations that he's defiling the house of God, that he's defiling the holiness of God. And the, the, the people in that temple and the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem are so angry that they drag Paul out of the temple and begin to try to beat him to death. Now, I want you to remember something. These people that Paul is speaking to that then turn on him in the temple and drag him out and try to beat him to death, these are his former friends. Imagine how that felt for him. Remember, the Apostle Paul was a Pharisee. He was a, a scholar of the Old Testament scriptures. He was a Jewish leader before he met Jesus and saw him and believed in him as the Messiah. So these were his friends that he lived life with who are now trying to beat him to death. This is happening and a riot ensues and a Roman guard steps in because one of the things that Rome does not want is a riot in any of their provinces or their cities. So they break it up, they take Paul, they arrest him. The Jewish leaders want Paul killed, and they don't know how to charge him. Now, Paul has something in his favor, which is he is a Roman citizen. Paul is from Tarsus, and he's a Roman citizen. Though he's a Jew and was a Pharisee, he's also a Roman citizen. So he has the right to appeal to the emperor, who at the time is Nero. So he appeals his case to the emperor, which means they have to take Paul from Jerusalem all the way to Rome. Now, Paul's never been to Rome. In this process, he actually writes the book of Romans before he ever gets to Rome. And he's eagerly awaiting to meet the church and the people in Rome. He never imagined that he would arrive as a prisoner. 
So from Jerusalem, he goes to Caesarea. He's in jail for two years there. And then they finally get him on a ship to start the long journey from Caesarea, from Israel, all the way to Rome. Along that journey, just for his luck, he gets shipwrecked. And then they find another ship, and they eventually get there. When he arrives in Rome, he's placed in house arrest. So he's in a house where he can have guests over. People can come and go, but he can't leave. And to make matters worse, he's chained to a Roman guard at all times. Eating, sleeping, whatever he wants to do, he's chained to a Roman guard. And he's there in Rome. This is not how he probably imagined his first time visiting Rome would be. Now, the Apostle Paul's life, when you look at it, even just that quick snapshot, you could tell it was a hard life. The race that God called him to run wasn't easy. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was almost stoned to death. He was mocked and constantly accused. His friends tried to beat him to death. As I just said, he was constantly without shelter and hungry, in prison several times. He had a hard life. And the Apostle Paul, at the very end of his life, gives us some perspective on how he thinks and on his faith. In the book of Timothy, he writes to his disciple, Timothy, and he shares with him some insight into his perspective on life and his faith. And he knows he's at the end of his life because he tells Timothy that. In fact, the second, right after this, he goes to Rome for a second time and he gets beheaded. Not an easy life, as I told you. So he writes to Timothy, and he says this. Listen to this. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 through 8. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. This is the word of the Lord. So the Apostle Paul here gives us some perspective on his life and his faith. He says that he has fought the good fight. He has finished the race. He has remained faithful. His life has been poured out as an offering to God. And he is eagerly anticipating the appearing and the meeting of Jesus when he receives the crown of righteousness. Now, if you had to categorize the Apostle Paul's life in one word, I think that word would be faithful. He says that here. I have remained faithful. See, the Apostle Paul's life was full, as I said, of a lot of difficulty and hardship, and yet he remained faithful, despite the circumstances. But there was also a lot of success. God used him to start churches and to raise up leaders, and he saw cities change for the gospel. And even in the success and in the joy, he was never sidetracked. He remained faithful. Thinking as a pastor... I can imagine that in some of these cities like Ephesus, when there's this revival breaking out and the church is growing, he's there for two years, how attractive it would have been to stay and to be the pastor of a really large church. But he kept moving because his calling was to go to all the cities and provinces in the Roman Empire. In fact, he goes to Rome because he feels God calling him to bring the gospel to Spain. He's faithful and consistent 
time and time again. While he's here in this very difficult situation in Rome, on house arrest, chained to a Roman guard, he writes four letters of the New Testament. Nothing deters him. He writes Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon with a Roman guard right next to him. He's faithful time and time again. And I wanted to find faithfulness like this. Faithfulness is being true to your commitments. See, he was committed to Jesus and committed to the race that Jesus called him to, called him to run. And he was consistent. He was true to those commitments in good times and in bad. The Apostle Paul was faithful. Here in Acts chapter 28, we're going to see a very specific instance of the Apostle Paul's faithfulness. And here we're going to see three key truths of Christian faithfulness. Here's why. Because how you finish strong is by being faithful. You see, as I said from the very beginning, the Apostle Paul is just like us. He is a human being saved by grace through faith. What is extraordinary about him is Jesus, and one of the things that we can learn from him is how to be faithful to Jesus and his unique calling that he has given, because he's given you a unique calling. Not the same as Paul's, but he's given you one. You see, the Apostle Paul's calling is not arbitrary. I want you to understand that. It's not like God just plucked him out of nowhere and said, hey, here's a great calling for you. Go plant churches and preach, G- preach my name all throughout the Roman Empire. No, think about the Apostle Paul. He's a dual-cultured person. He's from Tarshish. He's comfortable around non-Jewish people, Greeks. He's spent time reading and studying philosophy. He, he is a Roman citizen, and yet he's also a Jew, and he knows the Scriptures really well, and he's cultivated in his life a gift of teaching. He is literally the perfect person to go preach the gospel to the Roman Empire because he understands both cultures of the Roman Empire. And he has the gift of teaching. And his story is compelling because he hated Christianity. And then he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. God used every aspect of who Paul was to reveal to Paul what his purpose was and what his calling is. And the same thing is true of you. You may still be in the process of discovering what God's calling is on your life or what his purpose is for you. But I want to tell you something. As you pray and as you seek and as you try to discover that in community with the church... I want you to look at all of you because your calling is not devoid of who you are. It includes your past, your education, the opportunities you've had, your gifts, your passion, your interests, your strengths. All of these things are included in your calling. God does not give arbitrary callings. He doesn't make mistakes. This is true of the Apostle Paul, and he's committed to be faithful. And as he enters Rome for the first time on house arrest, chained to a Roman guard... He's continuing to be faithful. And we're going to see these three key truths of Christian faithfulness that should be true of us as well. So in verse 17 of Acts chapter 28, here's what it says. Three days after Paul's arrival, stop. We're just going to stop right there. (laughs) He gets to Rome after being in jail for two years in Caesarea, taking this long journey, not eating well, certainly, not sleeping well on a ship. This is not a cruise ship, guys. Okay, this is not ideal conditions, and he's a prisoner, so he's probably below deck, probably not seeing the sun often, and he's shipwrecked. It takes him three days before he engages ministry again. Three days. He probably slept for two of them. You see, here's the first key truth of Christian faithfulness. No days off. 
There's no days off. You're either faithful or you're unfaithful. There's no on and off switch of Christian faithfulness. It's not like, hey, listen, I'm going to be faithful to Jesus when I come to church because it's really convenient to turn it on then. Or when I go to small group or when I'm with Christian friends, then I'm faithful. But when it may cause discomfort or an awkward conversation or affect me in business or in school, then I'll turn it off or I'll kind of hide it. I want to say turn it off because that doesn't sound good. I'll tell myself I'm just hiding it. See, there's no days off with Christian faithfulness. It's, it's, it's an on switch. In fact, the book of Revelation speaks about uh, how God views this hot and cold uh, Christianity. And, and what is most appalling is lukewarm. Turn it on, turn it off, turn it on, turn it off, turn it on, turn it off. No days off. The Apostle Paul, three days, he engages in ministry. And the same is true for you. You are called to be faithful consistently every day. It's an on switch. And once you turn it on, you don't turn it off again. It doesn't mean that you're not going to make mistakes and struggle and times you're going to have turned it off. But when you realize that you've turned off faithfulness and you've been unfaithful because we are unfaithful people, guess what you're to remember? No days off. Turn it back on. Don't hide. Don't pretend. Don't turn it on and off for comfort, discomfort. Three days. And here's what happens. After three days, it says in the following verses, he called together the local Jewish leaders. He said to them, brothers, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Roman government, even though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors. The Romans tried me and wanted to release me because they found no cause for the death sentence. But when the Jewish leaders protested the decision, I felt it necessary to appeal to Caesar. Even though I had no desire to press charges against my own people, I asked you to come here today so we could get acquainted. And so I could explain to you that I am bound with this chain, a literal chain, because I believe that the hope of Israel, the Messiah, has already come. So no on again, off again. He's faithful. He takes no days off. Three days later, after he probably just wakes up from an extended sleep, he invites the local Jewish leaders to the house where he's on house arrest. And he wants to get ahead of the story. You see, the Apostle Paul knows something. That most likely the leaders in Rome, the Jewish leaders in particular, have no idea why Paul is there. Because, remember, there's no text messaging back then. There's no printing press. So for information to travel from Jerusalem to Rome, it was very costly and it took a long time because it required a person to be sent on a trip to deliver the information. And so he believes that they may, may not know why he's there or his story and so he gets ahead of it. And he says, here's what took place. Here's what happened. And I appealed to Caesar. I had no desire to press charges against my own people. The Jewish people who wanted to press charges against him. But I, I, I brought you here today not for my own benefit. You see, that's what's really important. He doesn't try to get ahead of the story so he can kind of assimilate him in with the crowd to garner some support when the news eventually comes. He says, I've called you here today because I want to tell you why I'm in this chain. Why this Roman guard is six feet away from me right there. Why I can't leave this house. It's because I believe the hope of Israel, the Messiah, has already come. 
You see, here's the second key truth of Christian faithfulness. You seize opportunities for Jesus. That's the second key truth. So the first one is that you take no days off. You're seeking to be faithful to Jesus every day consistently, and you don't turn it off when things get awkward and uncomfortable. And the second one is that you seize opportunities, not simply for yourself, but you seize opportunities for Jesus. You see, in our culture, we have a very different message. The message that we hear is that you are to seize opportunity, but for yourself. You're to seize opportunity for the accomplishment of your goals and your dreams. You're to elevate yourself and and prop yourself up. In fact, we celebrate flex culture, flexing on people on how much you've accumulated and who you are and what you've done. I mean, social media, that's like 95% of it. We elevate the self, and we speak often about destiny. My destiny, here's my destiny. And oftentimes when we say what our destiny is, it has to do with the things that we want to accomplish or the life that we want to have in the future. And and I'm all for having goals and dreams and working hard and having an idea of where, what kind of life we want to have. But your destiny is not in this life. Do you know that? Your destiny is not what you're going to accomplish or what you're going to accumulate or what your life will look like when you retire. It's not. Because your life will end, sorry if you didn't know that, so will mine. We're all in the same boat. Your life will end and your legacy will fade. It will. And so to live your life elevating yourself, believing that your your destiny is all about you and what you can accomplish is a waste of time. See, the book of Revelation tells you that if you believe in Jesus, if you've experienced the grace of God and the forgiveness of God, it reveals you very clearly what your destiny is. It uses the imagery of a wedding. And it says that you and the rest of the church is the bridegroom and Jesus is the bride. And you're going to enjoy Jesus and one another for all of eternity. That is your destiny. Which means, if you are living for your destiny, you are elevating who? Jesus. Not yourself. The Apostle Paul understands this. This is why he can say, I have finished the race. I have fought the good fight. I have remained faithful because he is seizing opportunities for Jesus, for Jesus is his destiny. And the same is true for us. We are called to not only take no days off, but to seize opportunities for the name of Jesus, which results in the third key truth. And this one is experienced. This truth is experienced when you take no days off and you seize opportunities for Jesus. You discover that God honors faithfulness. Look what happens. The Apostle Paul is speaking to this very unlikely crowd, and he's bold. He's seizing the opportunities for Jesus. It only took him three days. He's taking no days off. And here's what we read. They replied, We have had no letters from Judea or reports against you from anyone who has come here. So he was right. They haven't heard anything about Paul. But we want to hear from you what you believe. For the only thing we know about this movement, or some uh, translations say sect, speaking of Christianity, the church. But what we know about this movement is that it is denounced everywhere. 
So as he's speaking to these Jewish leaders, their response is, we haven't heard anything about you. We, we, we don't really know about your situation. You kind of just brought us in the loop. But here's one thing we do know. The people that believe that the Messiah has already come, the hope of Israel has already come, that believe in Jesus and are following Jesus, those Christians, the only thing we know about them is that it's denounced everywhere. Now, I told you that God honors faithfulness. Look at their response. After they say that, verse 23. So a time was set, and on that day, a large number of people came to Paul's lodging. He explained and testified about the kingdom of God and tried to persuade them about Jesus from the scriptures. Using the law of Moses and the books of the prophets, he spoke to them from morning until evening. We read later that many of them came to faith. God honors faithfulness. He has this unlikely group of leaders in his house. He's arrested, chained to a Roman guard. And he shares his story. He seizes an opportunity for Jesus. He takes no days off. And they don't know anything about him. But they do know that Christianity is denounced everywhere. And yet, they set a time. And they go back to their community and recruit a whole bunch of people to come and fill the lodging. So Paul can teach about Jesus from morning until evening. Here's what I want you to see and what I want you to hear. Many people in our culture are not interested in Christianity. Do you know that? You know that. They're not. People you work with, your friends, your family, they are not interested in Christianity at all. Why? Because it is denounced in a lot of places or they have seen bad representation of it. And and so they don't want nothing to do with Christianity. That movement, that sect maybe. But here's what I know. Many people are not interested in Christianity, but they may be interested in your faith in Christ. Why you would be interested in Christianity. Why you believe in Christianity. They may not be interested in the Christian faith, but they may be interested in your faith. That's true of the Apostle Paul. They know that Christianity is denounced everywhere, but they are curious Why would Paul believe this? He's like us. He's a Pharisee. And yet he believes that Jesus is the Messiah. we got to get a crowd. we got to hear from him. You see, when you take no days off and you seize opportunities for Jesus, you experience the joy and the fruit and the blessing of God honoring faithfulness as he protects Paul and as he brings these people for Paul to persuade about Jesus, and Paul gets to see so many of them come to faith. And we read, actually, that Paul is on house arrest for two years, and that he's able to do this the entire time, and no one tries to stop him. God protects him, because God honors faithfulness. And you may be thinking, and I don't know if I could, like, talk with people about Jesus. Like, the Apostle Paul, yeah, like, he's, like, kind of a pro at it, you know? He's cool with it, no days off. He sees the opportunity for Jesus from morning till evening. Like the idea of me speaking about Jesus from morning till evening, that would be really hard. And so maybe you feel like I don't seize opportunities for Jesus in conversation at work, at school, with my family because I don't want to be asked questions that I don't know how to answer. 
or I, I, feel, I may feel awkward. It may affect the dynamic of the relationship. I may not say something right, and I don't want to misrepresent Jesus, so I'm just not going to say anything about him. That's why I take days off, because I'm nervous about those interactions. And Let me tell you something. God honors faithfulness. He honors it. I'm going to share with you, some of you have heard this maybe before, uh, the first time I shared my faith, okay? I was in college when I became a Christian, and I was really excited uh, about Jesus and about the church, and I wanted to share my faith, but I didn't know how, and I was a part of this, like, small group, and they did this little training on, on how to share your faith, and, and it, was, it was a struggle because I had, like, my friends that didn't believe in Jesus, and then I had my church friends, but I, I, wanted, I wanted to share with my my friends that didn't believe in Jesus, but I thought the easiest way to do that would be to, like, go talk to a stranger, you know? And they had these questions, you know, like, go ask these questions. You kind of, like, you know, get the spiritual curiosity, and then you transition in these diagnostic questions to ask them this. Can I tell you why I believe in Jesus? And if they say yes, you share the gospel with them. If they say no, then you respect them and you move on. So I'll never forget. I, I'm, I signed up. I went out on the, you know, random people on the street. And I go to this guy and start asking him these questions, you know. And I remember, get, like, starting to get super nervous. You're like, Carter, you stand in front of people every single week and preach. You're definitely, we're not. No, no, I was super nervous. Like, I knew nothing about the Bible. Like, if you were to, like, tell me about Noah's Ark, I'd be like, I don't know. There's a dude and some animals. Like, I didn't know much at all, Okay. So I was thinking, like, what if they ask me something? Like, what if I say something wrong? So I was feeling all of this tension. I'm talking to the guy, and I said to him, can I share with you why I believe in Jesus? And I'm, I promise you I'm thinking in my head, please say no. Like, <laughs> please say no. Like, because then I can just be like, hey, I did it, guys. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I tried. You know, this campus is dead. They hate Jesus, you know. <laughs> I tried, you know. So the guy looks at me and goes, yeah, I'd love to hear that. So I start talking. You know when you start talking and then as you're speaking, you're thinking something different in your head? You know this happens to you? You're like you're sharing something, but then you're having a completely different conversation with yourself. So here's what's happening. I'm speaking to this man, and I'm thinking to myself, this makes no sense. Like, I have no idea what I'm saying. I'm, pr I'm probably, like, creating a religion right now. I don't know what's going on. And so in my head, I'm saying, like, wrap it up. Like, hey, like, let's, like, just, like, stop this. I'm sweating. And I said, I said, so, like, awkwardly, I was like, do you want to pray to receive Jesus? Like that. He looks at me, starts bawling, crying. I was like, what did I say about him? Did I offend him? I don't know what happened. And then he looks at me and he says, yes. I, to this day, I have no idea what I said. And I, I think it was really bad. I think what happened was I was speaking in tongues and the Holy Spirit was reinterpreting it for him. Okay? But see, what happened in that moment is that God spoke to him. He used my faulty words. I knew very little about the Bible. I didn't understand much. I just knew the basics of the gospel. And I wasn't even really communicating it very clearly. But the Holy Spirit was speaking to him. And God honors faithfulness. 
You see, I have the joy of reliving that memory and being the person that got to lead that person to faith and then plug them into a church. That's a joy and a privilege for me. It's a story I get to tell 20 years later. And God will honor faithfulness for you too. When you take no days off and you seize opportunities for Jesus, there is nowhere in the Bible where it says, hey, listen, once you've gone through seven years of theological training, then you can seize an opportunity for Jesus because you won't mess it up. No. God will honor faithfulness. He always does time and time again because he is faithful. He is faithful to his gospel and to his church and to his mission in the world of which you are a part. You see, Acts chapter 28 is the last chapter of the book of Acts. The book of Acts which tells the story of the church. But it's not over. You are the next chapter. You are the continuation of the Apostle Paul's ministry, of Phoebe's ministry, of Peter's ministry, of Priscilla's ministry, of all these men and women 2,000 years ago that took no days off and seized opportunities for Jesus. And some were pastors and some were business leaders and some were scholars and some were all over the place, all over the world. And they just said, we're going to seize opportunities for Jesus and we're going to take no days off and we're going to trust and we're going to believe that God honors faithfulness and they experienced it. And you are the continuation of that. Your purpose, your calling, your race is running after what God built through them. You are Acts chapter 29. You are the next chapter. And you're to run and finish strong. And here's why. Here is the why for every one of us in this room, and it's the why for them as well. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, the apostle Paul says this. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. You run for the prize. The Apostle Paul says that the prize is the crown of righteousness that Jesus will give him on his appearing. But not just for him, but for all who eagerly await the appearing of Jesus. What is the crown of righteousness? What is the prize? It is the appearing of Jesus. It is the wedding feast. It is the finalization of your salvation. It is the completion of your sanctification, of becoming more like God, being made into the image of God. It is your glorification, you stepping into eternal life to enjoy God and his people forever. It is the crown of righteousness, and it is given to you. And I want you to hear that. You do not run to earn the prize. The prize has already been given. You see, the Apostle Paul speaks in terms of certainty. He says, I am going to receive the prize. Jesus will give it to me. There's no question. He's like, I hope I've really run well. I hope I was faithful enough to get the prize. No, he knows he's going to receive it. Because the gospel is that through faith in Jesus, by receiving the grace of God, you are changed forever. You are made righteous. You are holy. It is given to you. Holiness is a gift, not a title that you earn. You're not like, hey, I'm the most faithful in the room, so I'm the most holy in the room. No, if you believe in Jesus, you're just as holy as the person next to you that believes in Jesus. It's a gift that is given, not a title that is earned. And I tell you that because the reason that you run 
is different for the reasons that you run for everything else. The reasons that you're running hard in school, you're running hard in your career, you're working hard in your relationships. You're doing that to bring uh, something productive or to receive something, hoping to earn something, to cultivate something. See, the gospel is very different. It's that you've already been given the prize. It's already yours. And so you run out of confidence. You run because you've already received the unlimited generosity of God. It's out of gratitude that you run. Not to earn anything. Because it's already been given. Because Jesus, your Savior, the hope of Israel, the Messiah that has already come, he took no days off. He seized every opportunity for your salvation. He was faithful to the end, including the endurance of the cross. He went through all of that suffering so that he could give you the crown of righteousness. That is yours. This is why you run hard. This is why you finish strong. This is why you desire to be faithful. I pray that you and me would seek tonight to have our life identified by one word, faithful. True to our commitment to Jesus and his calling on our life. That is who we are called to be. I love this quote by Francis Spufford. He's a theologian, an author. It's one of my favorite quotes in the world. I want to share it with you to close. He says, for us, you see, the church is not just another institution. It's a failing but never quite failed attempt by limited people to perpetuate the unlimited generosity of God in the world. That is who we are. We don't take days off and we seize opportunities for Jesus and we get the privilege of experiencing God honoring our faithfulness because we are people that have received the unlimited generosity of God. We are failing but never quite failed. We are limited and we are trying to perpetuate in our city and beyond the unlimited generosity of God for people. That's how we finish well. That's how we finish strong. Amen? Will you pray with me? God, we pray tonight that you would stir something in our heart and our soul, that you would give us clarity and wisdom on the unique calling that you have given us. How you have used our past and our education and our relationships our current situation, our interests, our gifts, our strengths and weaknesses. Have you, used, you have used all of that for our calling, for our purpose, for the race that you have given us to run. And I pray tonight, Holy Spirit, that you would convict and work in our heart and bring it to mind that we are to be people characterized by faithfulness by being true to our commitment to you, Jesus, and to the life that you've called us to live? Would we be a church that doesn't take any days off? Would we be a church that seeks opportunities for your name, Jesus, and your glory, that we would seize those opportunities, and then we would enjoy experiencing how you honor faithfulness, God? In ways that we can't even explain, you honor faithfulness because you are faithful to your church and your gospel of which we get to be a part. Would we be motivated out of the prize that you have already given us, Jesus, the crown of righteousness, a promised relationship with you and your people for all of eternity? 
thank you that we don't run to earn, but we run because we have already received. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, church, as we 